I am someone who, like most Californians, I, I kind of like cars. And this might sound weird, but I like license plates. I'm so glad there's a sister in the, in the last service who's like, oh, me too. And I like the frames. I like to read them, not just the vanity plates, but I like to read the frames to see what are people thinking? How do they see the world? What's important to them? Sometimes they make me laugh. Sometimes they break my heart and I say, oh, I got to pray for that dude. But other times they're just fascinating. And there was one that really moved me. Here's what it said at the top. This was a license plate frame. It said literally, uh, Take matters in your own hands. That's what it said. Dot, dot, dot. Now I'm expecting after the dot, 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 go for it. You're the master of your fate. You're the captain of your soul. I'm old enough to remember this stupid beer commercial from years ago that said, you know, you only go around once in life. So you better grab all the gusto. You. I thought it was going to be something like that. You know, grab all the gusto. I still remember that dumb commercial. It's kind of scary when commercials stick in your head. So I was looking for something like that. Go for it. Grab the gusto. You're in charge. But take matters in your own hands. Dot, dot, dot. I kind of leaned forward as I was driving. What is it going to say? And at the bottom it said, pray. It was great. And it had a picture of these praying hands. Now that says a lot about prayer. But I think it says something much deeper than that. That says, I need God. Desperately. You need God. Desperately. There are times when we want to take matters in our own hands. We want to fix it. We want to figure it out. We want to use our minds or our emotions or our skills or our expertise to know exactly what to do and then do it. But God is saying, it's not just that I want you to pray, Marcus. You need me. And he's saying the same thing to you. Our need for God is massive. He is the Lord. But sometimes we forget our need for God and think, I got this. We got it all figured out. But the Lord has a way of reminding us. In fact, sometimes God will let you hit a brick wall. Sometimes you hit a brick wall in an area where you have lots of experience and knowledge so that God will remind you or me we need God. Some of you might even hit some brick walls this week. But God has a way of showing us how much we need him. We're going to see a passage today where the disciples hit a brick wall fishing. But the Lord wanted to show them how much they needed him. That's John 21. Come with me to the last chapter of the gospel according to St. John. And thank you for standing with me as we stand to honor the word of the Lord. John 21. As you know, we're in the sermon series, Renew. We're talking about the resurrection appearances of Jesus. John 21, beginning with verse 1. Look with me. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, 
No. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciple came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits. That's 100 yards dragging the net with fish. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Isn't that beautiful? Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You may have your seats. And our subject this morning, which I pray that by the Holy Spirit's power we can draw from these verses, is this. Oh, How we need Jesus. That's our subject. Let's say that together. Oh, how we need Jesus. Amen. And somebody's excited over here. Yes, we do. We need him. Praise the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you're the loving God, that you're patient, that you're caring. And as much as we need you, God, you draw us to yourself. So we know what we're here for. So we get the direction and the healing and the grace and the love that we need so much. Thank you, Jesus, for your care for us. Touch the heart of every man, woman, boy and girl here. And if there's anybody who doesn't know you, save that person. Let them want to be with you. We pray you would touch hearts and save souls. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Here are these seven disciples on the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of Galilee, called sometimes the Lake of Gennesaret, they're expecting to go fishing and catch fish. They spend the whole night fishing. It was common to fish at night there. By the way, people who go to the Holy Land will tell you, if you go there today on the Sea of Galilee, guess what time they fish? A lot of times at night. So they go, and these are people who know about fishing, John in particular. We know he's there because he says, when he names all the people there, he says, oh, and the sons of Zebedee were there. What's cool about John is he's so humble. He doesn't like to put his own name in the gospel. So he will usually say the disciple whom Jesus loved. But this time he says, oh, the sons of Zebedee were there. That's John and James, both disciples. That's to let you know that he was there. He's an eyewitness. So if anybody asks you, why do you believe the Bible? Do you think there were really eyewitnesses? Yes. And John is one of them. He was there. He saw it. How else would he know there were 153 fish? You see what I mean? We can trust God's word. And so he's there. They want to catch fish. Here's the sad thing. Three years earlier when they met Jesus... Several of them, he had said to them, why don't you stop thinking about fishing? I'm paraphrasing. Follow me. I will make you fishers of what? 
of people, fishers of men. I want you to catch souls. He let them know what they were supposed to be about. But after the resurrection and while they're trying to figure out all this stuff that's going on, I think they're a little confused. They're actually supposed to be in Galilee to meet Jesus at a mountain that's appointed for them. That's what they should be focusing on. You can read that in Matthew 28, verse 16. The Bible says it's appointed for them. And what are they doing? Peter says, uh, guys, I'm going fishing. And what do the guys say? Yep, I'm coming with you. They're not, and it's not that it's sinful. There are some who think it's terrible and rebellious for them to fish. No, it's their focus. They're not thinking about souls. They're not thinking about getting to that mountain to talk to Jesus in Galilee. They're just hungry and they're thinking, let's fish. It's, it's evening. Yeah, let's fish. They have forgotten what their real purpose is in life. And some of us forget what our real purpose is purpose is in life and there's only one who can tell us what we're on earth to do amen you know who that is that brings us to point number one point number one we need jesus to show us our purpose that's point number one we need jesus to show us our purpose let's say that together we need jesus to show us our purpose they needed jesus to show them their purpose they had forgotten here they are Thinking, oh, let's just go fishing. It's not that it's bad to fish. That was common. And they had a boat. I'm sure it was, a, it was probably a good boat. John, by the way, grew up in a fisherman's home. Zebedee, his dad, was a well-respected fisherman, owned his own business, had a fleet of boats. So John knew about fishing. In fact, all of these disciples probably knew about fishing. They were experts. And what happened? They go out. They fish. At the time you're supposed to fish, there are seven of them. And how many fish do they catch on their own? Not a single fish. One Bible scholar calls this the failure of experts. God will let you fail in an area where you know something where you have experience, where you're sharp. Sometimes where people say, oh, she's so gifted. Oh, he's so smart. And when you fail, God will sit back and say, not to put you down. Now, do I have your attention? Because my little son, my little daughter, I want you to know how much you need me. Now, let me show you where you need to fish. That's what's going on here. And God's reminding of, the, of their purpose because they're here on the lake of Gennesaret, as uh, Luke calls it. We'll look at that in a minute. The Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. This is the place where everybody else fishes. They're used to this. They've all fished there. They know the place. But the last time they were there, when they fished all night and caught nothing, was with Jesus. Or at least one very important time. This was the day that several of them were called to be fishers of men. And there's no way they could not be thinking about it because the parallels are amazing. Come with me, by the way, to Luke 5. <clears throat> Luke 5. Many of you know that's the book right before John. So go back one book. Chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 1. Look at this amazing passage that the Holy Spirit had to be speaking to them about this incident this time. Luke 5, 1, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. 
But when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon, of course, is Simon Peter. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Look at the obedience at your word. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. But since they are, I think, in the original languages, the nets began to break. I'm not sure they lost any of those fish because God wants us to know when we go fishing for people, nobody's going to be lost except those who turn away from the Lord. Amen. I'm not sure that they lost any fish, but the nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Again, they had to get help. You see the parallels? They had to get help. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Didn't sink, but almost did. That's a lot of fish. So when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down. Look now at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is a pattern in Peter's life. Other people will say, oh, that's great, Lord. Peter wants to be with Jesus. So he drops to his knees at the Lord's feet. Often we see Peter wanting to be with Jesus. It's a beautiful picture of worship. Oh, it's beautiful. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish, which they had taken. And so also were James and John. That's the one who would write the gospel, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men, human beings. That's what it means. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. They had to be thinking about this when they're back on the same sea. They've toiled all night and caught nothing. And then the Lord says, here's how you really need to fish. They had forgotten their purpose. And so without humiliating them or shaming them, he's calling them back to what they're really on earth for. That's what you and I, sometimes we need for God to say, this is what I really made you to do. So we can be focused. When I was in high school, I thought I knew what I was on earth for. It was my plan, not God's. I want to be an engineering manager. I went to college. I want to be an engineering manager. I sat down with engineers. I was blessed. My dad was uh, an engineer. Um, and uh, we talked to some of his friends and they said, young man, I'll tell you what, you get your undergraduate degree in engineering, you get your MBA, and you can write your own ticket. Several people said that same phrase, write your own, that was my plan, I'm going to write my own ticket. I didn't ask the Lord. I asked Marcus and some engineers. So that was my plan, and it was going well until about freshman year, sophomore year. I realized I'm taking these courses. I like them. I enjoy the, the logic, but I'm not sure I want to do this the rest of my life. I don't know if you know what it's like to be 20 and 21 and have no idea what you're really on earth for. Terrifying. If you're in your 20s, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're older, you can remember. You want to know what you're here for. I was terrified. And I got to admit, I was a lousy person to be around. I was in a bad mood most of the time. So one Thanksgiving, I went down to Mobile, Alabama, where my cousin is a pastor, Reverend James Howard Taylor. And he said, you look terrible. I said, yeah, I am terrible, man. I am frustrated. You look, I am miserable. And so I explained to him what was going on. He said, well, why don't you ask the Lord? I looked at him, I said, you've got to be kidding me. Are you crazy? I said this to a pastor. Not a very mature Christian. I'm not asking God. You know what he's going to do. I want you to climb the Himalayan mountains. Go to Mount Everest. Don't wear a coat. 
No oxygen bottles. Just trust me to keep you warm. No boots. Witness the people on the way up. Lead 50 people to Christ on the way down. Just trust me. It's only Mount Everest, the highest peak that I made on this planet. Oh, man. That was my picture of God. I really didn't know the Lord very well. I was an immature Christian. Harsh, demanding. That's how I saw him. So after a couple of years of moaning and groaning, and to be honest, probably using some language that wasn't too polite. Finally, my cousin said, well, you seem miserable. You've got a choice. Why don't you ask for guidance? Some reason that didn't scare me. Oh, I can do that. I can do, yeah, 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 yeah. Guidance. I, I can do that. So I went back to my college. Uh, I was at Morehouse in Atlanta at the time, and I lived off campus. So I went back to my little apartment, my little room. I didn't have a devotional. I didn't know about being with Jesus, right? But I did pray at night sometimes. So that night I prayed a little prayer. Lord, I don't know what I'm on the planet for. Would you please show me? I ask this in Jesus' name. Because I knew you were supposed to say in Jesus' name. I knew that much. In Jesus' name. Amen. Went to bed. Next morning I woke up with a start thinking about going to divinity school. Never in my life had I thought of that. I never even thought about being a minister because I knew I wasn't worthy. If you're going to pick something, don't pick me. I'm in a fraternity. It doesn't even make sense. There are people who go to church every Sunday. On Sundays, I'm studying a lot. I, I don't miss frat meeting now. But church, well, when I have time. Come on. I mean, it, it just did. I, I, but the more I looked at it, I realized God was trying to show me what I was on earth for. So I thought about it for about a week, talked to some friends and whatnot. And at the end of that week, I realized I really need to ask God a direct question. I wasn't terrified anymore. It must have been the Holy Spirit working in my life. So the end of that week was December 4th, 1982. I'll never forget it. One o'clock in the morning, I'm at a study group. I've got my books. I've got my calculator. And it's time to study. And I got up from the study group and I said, guys, I got to go. Are you crazy? Finals are tomorrow. I said, yeah, I know. I got up and I walked down to my car and I said, Lord, I need to know. I... I, I've been wrong about a lot of stuff. I don't want to be wrong about this. Is, uh, what are you calling me to do? This is the only time in my life I'm sure I heard his voice and felt his presence. And actually, as I was praying, my, wife, my eyes were closed. I saw the words as he said them to me. I want you to be a minister. I'll never forget it. And because I'm a techie, it looked like it was on a computer screen. You know, that's back when the pixels were big. I'm not kidding. And there were orange. I want you to be a minister. It's a lowercase r and a period at the end of that sentence. Because he knows I know you're supposed to have a period at the end of a sentence. Y'all think I'm playing. He knows how to speak to techies too. I knew that God had called me to. And I had purpose. What a relief. What a relief to know why I'm on the planet. And that has changed the way I see things ever since. Sometimes we just need to know our purpose, whatever it may be. And God was speaking to these disciples in the same way. I've called you to be fishers of men. And they'd forgotten about it. He, he gave them everything they needed. Yeah, they had a boat and all that other kind of stuff. But he's saying, if you're going to use this boat, we, can, we have a picture, by the way, of a Galilean fishing boat. This is the way they would have looked in the first century. You've got this boat. You've got the expertise. That's fine. They know this, by the way. They actually have found boats and reconstructed what they would have looked like. This is what the boat would have looked like. 
but you fished all night and didn't catch anything, that's because you've forgotten your purpose and because you need direction from me. Because the Lord told him, they knew, they knew how to fish, he told them where. Amen? Look with me at verse 4. We're in, we're in uh, 21, John 21. Look at verse 4. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? I always wonder if there's a little humor there. So, children, you got, you got any food? I believe God's got a sense of humor. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. If you've got a New King James like I do, when words are not in the original text, they put them in italics. So you'll see, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find, but some is in italics, which means some was not in the original text. It's implied. But literally, he was saying, cast the net on the right. You've been fishing all this time, and you've cast on the right and the left and the right and the left. Now, I want you to cast on the right, and you will find, literally. They'll find the power of God. Well, they'll find some fish. But they'll also find that they need God for direction. Amen? And that's point number two. Point number two this morning, we need Jesus to give us direction. Let's say that together. We need Jesus to give us direction. And oh, we do. And he speaks to them, I think, lovingly. The original language is more, it's very fatherly. You know how when you're talking to a little, little kid and you want to be caring, fatherly or motherly moms, you'll say, hi, little girl. You know what I mean? Hey, little boy. You know how you do, right? You lean over. That's what Jesus is doing. He's talking to adults, but he's saying to them, if you take the original language, it's like that. So, Little boys, you don't have any fish, do you? That's what he's doing. You don't have any fish, do you? He's not trying to put them down. He's reminding them they need direction. And what he's saying to them, please hear me, is not logical. John grew up in a fishing family. His dad has a fleet of boats, we find out from other Bible passages. They know about fishing. And literally, while they were in the boat all night, you can imagine with seven of them, depending on how many nets, I'm sure they cast on the right. I'm sure they cast on the left, but it's possible that with seven of them, if they had more than one net, sometimes they were casting on the right and the left at the same time. And they're fishing at the logical time. In fact, I think we have a picture of fishing um, at, uh, at sunset. Let's, uh, uh, this, is just, this was common back then. And, and my understanding of that picture, if we can get it up, it literally is a picture of people fishing. I think it's in the Sea of Galilee. That's what you did. You would fish at daybreak, sometimes at night. But this was common. Now, these were people standing, but you would use nets, and there would be several of you. And when you had seven people in a boat, these are, they're on the shore. You could be on the right and the left. Now the Lord is saying, cast it to the right. Does that, think about just logically, does that make a whole lot of sense? God asks us to do things that make no sense at all. If you're a thinker, it's illogical. You don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do. If you're a feeler, it doesn't always feel like the right thing to do. He didn't ask you how you felt. He didn't ask you what you think. He is God, and when he says this is the direction, we need to recognize God's giving us direction. Amen? And so they cast their boats on the right. He's like that. You know, he did this for me this week, literally, in studying for this message. It's really amazing. I was doing some fishing. 
And I thought I was, I had kind of figured out exactly how to, when to cast on the right and cast on the left. And so my goal that day was to come into uh, Abundant Life's uh, administrative offices, study for this sermon, and on the way I'm going to stop at the library. It's going to stop at two libraries. Going to this one library because I'm dropping off a book I didn't like. Now for self-care, this is important for people in ministry, I read spy novels and military adventure novels. Tom Clancy, Joe Buff, that kind of thing. I love those guys. And so I had gotten one from an author that, no, oh, he's pretty good. This one I didn't like. His name Hagberg. Just it seemed like, I, I don't like this one. So I was going to drop this one off and then go pick up another book at another library because that's what I do for fun. just kind of takes my mind off stuff. So I go to the library planning to drop off this book. And before I can get away from my car, here's this lady. Hi, I do ministry with the homeless and I want to tell you about it. Oh, okay, I don't know who this is. I kind of got my wallet in my hand and I'm, you know, looking, okay, now hold on, let me see, who is this? So we begin to talk and then I notice she's got her sword in her hand. She's carrying her Bible. I'm like, oh, this is a sister in the Lord. Praise. So we talk and share and we just have a wonderful time. I pray for her and she gives me some information. If you ever run into somebody who's struggling with homelessness, here's what you, praise the Lord. Oh, this is great. So my plan is to take it into the office. But God showed me he had a different plan. I show up at the next library to pick up this book that I've already found out online they have. It's supposed to be five minutes. I go in and get the book, come out, right? They even have a five-minute parking space, and I can do that, right? And not be dishonest. Park my car. I'm walking into the library. Uh, uh, Pastor Marcus? Thinking, who knows me at the library? I look around, and here's a brother in the Lord. I don't know when's the last time I saw him, but he recognized me. And he looked at me and said, it's got to be God that you're here today. And I said, really? He began to share what he was going through. It was terrible. Financial problems. Talk about hitting a brick wall. Family, family life problems. Everything was going well. Now, this brother was handling it with great faith. He was trusting God and trying to do right. It was just amazing. But both of us, we found out from God, needed some direction that day. I realized that it had nothing to do with some stupid little book. God sent me to that library to talk to this brother. So we sat down outside and we talked. And one of the things he shared with me is, you know what? Uh, last night I didn't have a good place to, to sleep. So he told me where he slept. It wasn't a house. It wasn't even a friend's garage. I'd rather not say, but it was not a good place. And I realized 20 minutes earlier, I had just talked to this woman at a different library that I didn't know God was going to have me meet. Because I was casting my nets thinking, okay, I think, and the Lord said, no, you better cast them over here. So I gave him the information, prayed with him, and then the direction he needed, he had a, a potential living uh, opportunity that came up, living situation, and we looked at it, and as we talked about it, I said, brother, is that really the most healthy place? I know you don't have a place to stay. Better for you to call these folks who are doing ministry to the homeless, because that just doesn't, and he realized, oh, that's right. So God gave us both directions. But do you see what I'm saying? When he gives us direction, it's a blessing. And if we're wise, like Peter and the, uh, the uh, disciples, we will be obedient. Amen? Look at how they obey. The Lord gave them direction, but what's beautiful is that they obeyed. We see the Lord Jesus, look at uh, verse 5, John 21. Then Jesus said to them, you can translate it this way, little boys, you, have, you don't have any food, do you? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. 
So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. This amazes me. This is illogical. It doesn't make any sense. It was exactly the right thing to do. And they obeyed. That's number three today. Point number three. We need to obey Jesus. You knew that was coming. We need to obey Jesus. Let's say that together. We need to obey Jesus. He knows what's best for us. Doesn't matter whether it feels right. Doesn't matter whether it makes sense. It's logical. We need to obey. Here's one of the tricky parts, though. If you don't think you need him, you are likely to say, I've got it all figured out. That's the danger in thinking you don't need God. I want to tell you a story about a brother. I won't give you his real name who had a very difficult thing that happened in his life. And I want to be clear This did not happen at any Christian organization starting with the word abundant. It did not happen in Mountain View. I've served the Lord in different places, different states, a couple different countries. I don't want to say where. It doesn't matter. I'm going to call this brother Ulysses. Great, amazing gift for teaching. God was using him in the metropolitan area where we were all living at that time. We worked in a Christian organization. He He had this class where he taught people how to share their faith. Oh, we were all growing in Christ. People were getting saved. It was amazing how the Lord was using him. Now, he was a a workaholic. We all knew that. But everything else seemed to be very, very much in place. He'd work till 10, 11 o'clock at night, midnight, sometimes one in the morning. And we was, oh, man, come on, you need to get home. But everything seemed to be going great. Had a lovely wife, wonderful kids. Everything seemed to be going fine. So I served there for a couple of years, felt called to go somewhere else. And then about a year, year and a half later, I ran into one of the staff from that ministry. I said, hey, man, how's it going? He said, well, we, we've been through some things. You know that Ulysses isn't with us anymore. I said, oh, man, yeah. I said, I heard he burned out. And the brother dropped his head. He said, uh, no, it wasn't burnout. I said, well, that's what happened. No. Yeah, I guess you haven't heard. No. Uh, Marcus, uh, he, uh, he had an affair. I said, what? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, when he confessed it to us, we were shocked to find out that it had lasted 10 years. I'm thinking all that time that we work with him, this was going on. Nobody knew. None of us knew. We were just heartbroken. So we shook our heads and we said, oh, man, this is terrible. We got to remember to pray for him and pray for his wife and kids. It was just heartbreaking. It was devastating to the family, obviously. And I walked away, and I remembered something else I had heard about Ulysses that I hadn't thought was important at the time. And it was this odd way of viewing God that he had. And here's what it boiled down to. He didn't really believe everybody's born in sin. He, used to, he, he would write that every year. Here's the way it worked. At this organization, you had to sign a statement of faith every year. And it had the typical doctrines. You believe in the Trinity. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is coming back. But somewhere in there, it had something called original sin. Some of you know that doctrine. It basically means we're all born in sin. When you come out of your mom's womb, you are sinful. Now, I know children are beautiful and adorable moms. You know that's true. But we're all sinful even when we're born. That's what the Bible says. Read Psalm 51. We're born in sin. And the idea of original sin says that the sin of Adam and Eve is basically our sin. And here's the point. We desperately need God. Our need for God to save us and change us and shape us and help us live right is massive. That's the idea of original sin. Every year he would write a little note on his statement of faith saying, I do not believe in the doctrine of original sin. 
his way of saying, I'm not sure that we all need God that much. And they thought, oh, that's okay, it's only one thing. He agreed with everything else. They didn't want to nitpick, which is cool. And he would initial it and sign it every single year. Now I think back. Here's a very bright guy who's got it fixed in his head. Again, it's his thinking. My need for God isn't this big. The need of all human beings for God isn't this big. Maybe it's this big. I'm not sure there really is such a thing as original sin. Every year he's doing this and he falls into adultery for 10 years and there's no connection. I think not. I can't prove it, but I strongly believe that for this brother whom I love, Somehow, this thinking that I'm not desperately in need of God, my need for God is not massive, made it harder for him to obey God. Made it harder for him to realize how much he needed God to help him learn how to be a godly husband and a godly father. Because when you fall into that kind of sin, it's not only devastating to the wife, it's devastating to the kids and everybody who loves you and everybody who loves them. Amen? That's terrible. It's heartbreaking, and it breaks the heart of God. But he was thinking he didn't need God. You see the danger? When we think we don't need God, it's easy for us to fall into who knows what. But what we're seeing in this scripture here is our need for God is huge. It's massive. And because we need God so much, we not only need to obey him, but we just ought to love him enough to want to be with him. Because you know what? When you're with God, wonderful Things happen. Look with me at verse 7. We're in John 21. Look with me at verse 7. It's beautiful. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that's John, the disciple Jesus loved. It is the Lord. John is the, he's the, he's the spiritually sharp one. He picks up things really quickly. It is the Lord. And now Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. Peter's the man of action. It's the Lord. Taken off. Wants to be with Jesus. We ought to be like that. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, that's 100 yards, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Here's the beauty of it. John sees that this is the Lord. Peter realizes it's the Lord, and he jumps in the water. And here's, I thought it was strange, but I noticed he put clothes on to swim. Normally when you swim, you're kicking off your shoes and all of that, right? But here's the thing. Peter is thinking in the Jewish mindset. In the Jewish mindset, if I come up and I just greet this brother, that's considered an act of honoring God. It's a religious act. I want to I give my best. But I'm not just greeting this brother, right? Peter's thinking, I'm going to see Jesus. And so I want to make sure I'm clothed properly. As a fisherman, when you're out there in the boat casting the net left and right, they would usually, I don't want to freak anybody out, try to keep this message PG, but basically you're stripped down to your undergarments, if I can say that. You don't want to go meet the Lord in your undergarments, amen? So Peter, who does not care how wet he's going to be, says, oh, that's only 100 yards. He puts on his church clothes, if you will, and says, I'm going to be with Jesus. Jumps in the water and swims 100 yards. And I'll bet he swam fast because he knew he needed to draw closer to the Lord. That's point number four. Point number four today. We need, Peter needed it, but so do we. We need to draw closer to Jesus. Let's say that together. We need to draw closer 
to Jesus. And when Peter gets there, I'm imagining, I remember, he's got to be thinking about all that they've gone through. He's got to be thinking about how the Lord called him to be a fisher of men, and here he is fishing for fish, didn't catch any until Jesus showed up. Now he gets there, and there's a heap of coals there. Now that's for breakfast, but it's an interesting thing that the Lord does in the Word, because there's a specific word in the Greek that's used. It's only used twice in the entire Bible, both in the Gospel of John. And it means a heap of coals. Now, the first time it was used, it was the worst day of Peter's life. It's used here, heap of coals. But back when it was used the first time, the worst day of Peter's life, here he is, and there's a heap of coals. It's cold. He's warming his hands like everybody else. And somebody said, uh, are, are, you, are you one of those followers of that uh, uh, Jesus? No, 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 no. Don't know him. Don't know him. Heap of coals. But, you know, you got that funny accent. You sound like you're from Galilee or California or something. You just talk funny. Where did you? No, 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 I don't know. But I, I'm almost sure. Hey, listen, may I be cursed if I, I didn't know him. The rooster crows. And he remembers what Jesus told him. And he probably remembers that he had told Jesus, I will not deny you if all of these other gods, I got your back, Jesus. Three times he denies him, and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. That's the other time the word is used. So now, when Peter sees the heap of coals, he's probably thinking, oh my goodness, is the Lord going to say, aren't you the one who denied me? I thought you were going to be faithful. God doesn't do that. The Lord wants to give him breakfast. The Lord welcomes him. You know, God has a way of letting us see something, smell something. Feel something. See a house or a place. Sometimes a person that takes us way back. Now when the Holy Spirit is doing it, we can go back and it's not going to be where you go back and you go, oh man, I'm the sorriest Christian on the planet. I bet you God hates my guts. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's your old flesh, lies, maybe rotten stuff told you in your family. Maybe the way people put you down. When the Holy Ghost gets hold of you, it's like, yep, I remember that time. That's the stupidest thing I've done in a long time. But I'm glad I have a Savior who's changed my life. I'm glad his blood was shed for me. And I'm glad that now when I see that thing and I remember it, God has brought me like the old song said. He's brought me from a mighty long way. And that's what the Lord is saying to Peter. I brought you from a mighty long way. Sure, you deny me, but you're my child. He He's leaning over and saying to him as a loving dad, hey, little boy, you're my child. I got to get you some breakfast. I got some fish and I've got some bread. That's what happens when we hang out with God. Do you see what I'm talking about? He says, I love you. I don't care where you were. I brought you from a mighty long way. And now we just need to spend some time together. Not only do we need to draw closer to the Lord, we also need to just hang out with him literally to worship him and that's point number five point number five today we need to spend time with Jesus not just draw close we need to spend time with Jesus let's say that together we need to spend time with Jesus look at the marvelous time they have with Jesus verse 9 John 21 verse 9 then as soon as they had come to the land they saw a fire of coals again it's a reminder of how God has brought him a long way. By the way, next week or two weeks from now when I come back, I'll be teaching on how Jesus reinstates 
Peter. It's a beautiful passage, just a few verses ahead of where we are today. Next week's Pastor's Act, two weeks from now, we'll, we'll see how he's reinstated. Then the fish were laid on it in bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. Now check this out. They couldn't have caught those fish if the Lord hadn't told them, cast your net on the right side. But they did catch them. And now he's letting them be part of the miraculous, beautiful breakfast. Do you see it? Sometimes God takes the little stuff we got in our hands and he multiplies it and he blesses it. And he says, I'm going to let you be part of something marvelous. He is so gracious. Look at our Lord. Then 11, Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish. John says he is an eyewitness. 153. Now check this out. Six people couldn't drag the net through water into their boat. Peter, evidently by himself, is dragging this across sand and rocks all the way to Jesus. God gave him supernatural power. You know why? Peter's like, you know what? I love Jesus so much. I don't care how many fish are in here. I am going to get them to Jesus. God gave him supernatural power, another miracle. Although there were so many, the net was not broken. Not this time. Last time the nets almost began to break. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Look at this. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. I want you to see the worship here. Peter makes sure he's properly clothed. He swims a hundred yards. He gets to Jesus so he can be properly clothed to greet his master. They get there and they see Jesus. He's in his risen form. We don't know if perhaps he looks so differently because there were some scars here from the crown of thorns. We don't know. Maybe the holes in his hands were so large that it kind of stunned them or the, the holes in his feet. Maybe he was glowing with the power of God in such a way that it was hard to recognize him. Like Mary had had a hard time recognizing him. Mary uh, of, Magda, of Magdala, Mary of Magdalene. Several times in his post-resurrection appearances, people had a hard time seeing him. They kind of want to ask, it looks like you, Lord, but uh, uh, I'm not sure. But they don't. You know why? Reverence. Respect. Look at the worship. They respect him so much. They love him so much. They're just glad to be on the beach with Jesus. So they keep their they keep their mouths shut. They continue to spend time with him. But they must be holding back because he said, come and eat breakfast. They don't come. And the next verse says in 13, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them. Likewise, the fish. So they must have held back a little bit. Jesus, the savior of the world, the creator of the universe, brings them breakfast. And they eat. And they hang out. And they spend time together. Look at how God works when he's showing his little boys and his little girls how much he loves them. It's a beautiful thing. And then realize the miraculous nature of this. We learn in verse 4 that Jesus, it says, stood on the shore. It's pretty clear from the language that he didn't walk up there because if he had been walking, they would have seen him. John would have told us that. He appeared, and the Bible says, if you see in, in, in verse 1 of our passage, that he showed himself to them. He appears on the shore. When they get there, hear me now, there's a heap of coals now, if you're like me and you've done a little bit of cooking, a little bit of barbecuing, you know how long it takes to get a fire down to coals that you can use, right? Unless you're the savior of the world. Because he's the savior and he snaps his fingers, he's got a heap of coals. And I suspect he made it look like that heap of coals from way back there so Peter would know, look how far I brought you. 
He snaps his fingers. He's got bread. He's good. Listen, he didn't go to Whole Foods. He didn't go to Safeway. He didn't need to. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He just made bread. He made food. And here's the beautiful thing. Get this. Bread that he made, fish that he made, a heap of coals that he made. I'm sure it was just the right temperature. Can you imagine how that bread smelled? Can you imagine how that fish smelled? Can you imagine the warmth of that fire? Can you imagine at sunrise, the time of God's revelation in the Gospel of John, he's showing them the light of God at sunrise on the beach with Jesus Christ. He makes you bread miraculously. He makes you fish miraculously. He makes the heap of coals miraculously and says, come little boy, come little girl, and let's have some breakfast. That's what's going on. They're spending time with the Lord eating the greatest fish they've ever had in their lives. The best bread they've ever had in their lives. My wife makes fantastic ahi and she makes fantastic salmon, but she and I would agree this is the best fish in the whole world because Jesus made that fish. She makes wonderful bread, banana bread and zucchini bread. But Jesus, the bread of life, made bread on the beach for his little boys that he loved. And they got to eat it because he was showing them, this is how much I love you. It's got to be the most delicious bread, the best meal in the history of the world. Because that's what happens when we spend time with the master. That's what happens when we bow down. That's what happens when we reverence him. That's what happens when we worship him. There is healing and there's mercy and there's grace. And he'll say, I've brought you a long way, but I've washed all those sins away. It's all forgotten. You're my little girl. You're my little boy. You're the one I love. Let's just have breakfast together and spend our time. It's about worship. And I encourage you to be like Peter. If there are a hundred yards between you and the master, jump in the water. Get there as quickly as you can. If you think you've got to be like the other disciples, you can go in the boat. But as quickly as you can, go to be with Jesus. He's calling us to be with him and spend time with him. If your prayer closet is the place where you worship, you pray, get everybody out of the way. Go to your prayer closet and spend some more time with the Lord. If you've got a favorite park that you like to go to, get in your car, drive to that park. Don't worry about other folks. You can bring your Bible or your iPod if you want. Hopefully you've got a playlist with some worship songs on there and just spend time in the presence of the Savior of the world because you are his little girl. You are his little boy. He loves you and he just wants to spend time with you. That's what I need. Oh, how we need Jesus. Oh, how we need to be with him because he is the Lord and he loves his children.